unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's show, pleasure to welcome Jeff Sharon. He is with the Black and Gold Banneret. He is also the stadium announcer for football and the arena announcer for basketball for UCF. And besides, two Jeffs are better than one. Jeff Sharon standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a few moments. All right. I know you've been waiting all week for this. It is my official mock draft for the National Football League. Are you ready? Here we go. And that's it. Because <laughs> you know how I feel about these mock drafts where all these guys, you know, do mock draft after mock draft after mock draft. And, you know, they'll sit there and grade their accuracy. And yeah, how do we know how accurate they are? Because they can say, well, I got this uh, pick right in mock draft 2.0. And uh, this one over here I got right in mock draft 4.0. And, you know, come on. I mean, mock drafts are just, this to me, the same kind of nonsense as bracketology. You know, because, you know, these guys claim I got 67 of 68. All right, well... Almost half of those are automatic qualifiers, so you, you've already got half the table matched up for you. And I guarantee you there was not a bracketologist that had Oral Roberts in the field of 68 when they started doing their brackets uh, back in February. So that nonsense is what it is. And the NFL has made some jersey number rule changes, and Tom Brady not very happy about that because... It looks like now that defensive players can have all sorts of different jersey numbers. You, know, you would think of a guy wearing you know, a number in the 50s as being a linebacker and a guy with a number in the 20s as a defensive back. And they've now changed that because under the old rule, for example, we can look at it uh, this way. Uh, quarterbacks were 1 through 19. Running backs and fullbacks were 20 to 49 as well as defensive backs. By the way, kickers and uh, punters were also 1 through 19. Uh, wide receivers could wear 10 to 19 and 80 to 89. Tight ends 40 to 49 and 80 to 89. Offensive linemen are the only group that will have exclusivity on 50 to 79. Defensive linemen's well, the defensive linemen <laughs> 50 to 79 also and 90 to 99. Um, and then linebackers, you know, uh, again, could do 40 to 59 and 90 to 99. So under the new rule, quarterbacks, kickers, and punters still one through 19, but running backs and wide receivers, tight ends can all go one through 49. So a wide receiver can wear number, number five. Linebackers can go one to 59. So... Tom Brady is looking for the aspect, well, you know, not going to know who's, you know, what players are coming on a blitz or whatever. And But you know what? There are no rules on numerals in college. And it all works out just fine. <laughs> you can see where guys line up and you just got to figure it out. So Tom Brady making much ado about no- nothing as far as the jersey numbers go. All right, it is my pleasure to welcome to the program. He is from the Black and Gold Banneret. He's also, for UCF, the stadium announcer for football, the arena announcer for basketball. We welcome Jeff Sharon. Jeff, how are you? And thank you for joining the program. Hi, Jeff. I'm doing great. Good to see you here. This it's the Jeff and Jeff show. This is great. I mean, yes, I'm sure everyone is. I'm sure everyone like you know. We found this one would be totally obvious, but it's. Uh, thanks for having me on with you, man. It's good hey. to be with you. How are you? I'm great, and it's good to have you here. In fact, I started off the top of the show with the two Jeffs are better than one. So we'll do our best to make that a true statement, if you will. Um, so. You know, we're coming up on the NFL draft in another week, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts of what you think of the industry of mock drafts. I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it because, uh, you know, it, it's hard. I feel like in not just in the NFL, but in in other sports as well. Like, and I know this is going to sound like, you know, old guy, like back in my day, you know, I, I used to love the NFL draft. I, used, I still do love the NFL draft. I used to love that any draft, any NFL, NBA, I was all about it. Those, I loved it. And I feel like over the last... 
15, 10 to 15 years, there's kind of been a divergence between it. Used, we used to know who the best players, we used to know who the best players were in college. And we knew that they would go, that they would be the top players drafted into going to the NFL. And so we could pretty much determine, you know, like who would go where fairly easily, I thought. Um, and the same thing was with the NBA, right? I think in the last 20 years, there's been a real divergence, but, you know, amongst the, the, the scouting industry in, uh, in professional sports uh, that is filtered over to the, uh, to the mock draft industry where there's been a divergence between who the most productive players in college were in both the NFL and the NBA and who are perceived to be the best prospects. Now, this has happened much more with the NBA than with the NFL. I still think that the NFL still, you know, if you're productive in, in college, you're going to be productive in the NFL. Um, but there, I think there's much more of a divergence now than there used to be. And so for me, who, you know, as I've gotten older, I've kind of lost the mojo on like you know okay who who's really being projected to be the top players in the in the nfl draft like i couldn't tell you who the number one pick in the nba draft is going to be i have no clue Mm -hmm. um but uh you know i I do know so 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 my my focus has ended up kind of narrowing toward ucf and the players who ucf faces right like i know zaven collins is going to get is going to be one of the top linebackers picked at its also, I think that's pretty obvious. I know that Aaron Robinson and Richie Grant are going to go probably most likely in the first two days at some point. Um, you know, and and from there, it's like I, as part of Black and Gold Banneret, I follow what the UCF guys are doing and what what the latest projections are on them. And uh, you know, aside from that, you know, okay, Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one, I guess. You know, that's about it. Then I also follow what my Giants are going to are going to get. I'm like, but they never pick who I want them to pick. <laughs> yeah. And I find it interesting too, because, you know, they'll start mock drafts for next year. Like, you know, the following week after this one. And oh, I'm sure you could probably get a 2022 mock draft right now. Yeah, probably could. Probably could. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, but I find it very amusing, you know, because, you know, uh, you know, Todd McShay will be on mock draft 6.0 and, and, and they always talk about how great they 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 got these things. Like, okay, well, which one did you get right? In three point oh, four point oh, you know. It, to me, it's just a, a lot of a lot of nonsense. And so once a trade happens, you can scrap the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, throw the whole thing out. Throw the whole thing out. We don't know. It's more effective to th- I think you know for you know, when it comes to mock drafts is to think about teams and what their needs are and who would fit right. And then from there, we you know we can kind of glean some some connections, right? Because sometimes we do see that, like there are some, connect- there are some, you know, pro connections. Like, I mean, Shaquem Griffin could have gone to a number of different teams, but he went to the Seattle Seahawks, who was, who were a team that A, could use a pass rusher and special teams help, and B, his brother was there, right? So, um, you know, I think that there's a, you know, sometimes you can glean those connections, but um, as far as like, you know, narrowing down exactly which player is going to go to which team in which slot, we, nobody has any clue. Yeah. It's merely a content factory. And Lord knows I know about content factory, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I find it interesting, too, because, you know, last year we had the draft virtually, which, you know, I thought Trey Wingo did such a masterful job handling yeah. that. And his really all of ESPN did. They saved yes. the NFL. Yeah, they really year. did. Yeah, because NFL Network even had to carry it. Uh, from that aspect. And, you know, this year it's going to be a kind of a hybrid, mostly, mostly live and on site, but I guess there'll be some virtual aspects to it too, which I kind of am glad to see because I thought the virtual aspect of it really brought something new and fresh to the table. Yeah. It, it stripped away all of the bells and whistles. I think that's what it, cause it's funny. Like when they, when ESPN first started, Televising the draft. When they, I remember when they first had the idea of televising the NFL draft. I think one of the producers. I think I think it was on the the thirty for thirty that they did on the eighty three draft class. Mm-hmm. One of the producers or one of the people who's working there is like, really, you're gonna. He was ta- telling a story about how they were like, yeah, we're gonna televise the NFL draft, the whole thing. And somebody told him like, you're gonna televise the draft. That's like reading the phone book on live television, <laughs> and and it's turned into this industry, and and it turned into such an event that I think it way outsized its own actual significance. Um, you know, all the laser lights and the bells and whistles, like it just became too much. And last year it was very refreshing to just have it be, you know, just 
you know, we're getting the picks. We're reading the picks. We're analyzing them. Okay, on to the next one. And, you know, we've got some time. We're going to talk to this coach. And we're going to talk to this kid. And we've got people, you know, uh, and we've got, you know, uh, webcams in the different prospects' houses to see their reactions. And I thought it was funny. There was, I forget who is the player, but there was one player who, like, apparently had a bunch of people over. <laughs> and they were, like, hanging out in the back. And I guess his mom was, like, in the back. And she was, they cut to him at a really inopportune time when you could kind of see him in the bathroom. And she was, like, ushering them out of the room. <laughs> like, get out of the room so no one sees you. Because we're supposed to be social distancing or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I found it to be very refreshing. I'm kind of... I am very much like old school in that respect. Like I always watched NFL primetime mm-hmm. on Sundays because it was Boomer and TJ and the highlights and that's it. And when they brought that back on the ESPN Plus, I'm like, thank goodness. Like, I mean, I can just sit down and I can watch the highlights from the afternoon games, right? And and I know I'm going to get the story, the, you know, the truncated story of the game from these guys. And it's just, I my, you know, as a former TV producer, my... um my whole mo was keep it simple keep it simple and just have a lot of, have a lot of good information and let the information carry the day and I, and it was it was good to see that last year i mean what were they planning for vegas like did weren't they going to have like a boat carry carry whoever was drafted like across the the fountain at the at the venetian i mean like come on man yeah, like, like evil crazy, Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, let's just let's just drop the guy out of a helicopter onto the stage. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they're talking about yeah, grand ideas, right? Um, so you mentioned you're a Giants fan. I, of course, am a, a fan of a of a another team in the worst division of football with the Cowboys. So who do you who do you think the Giants uh, should take? What do you what are their needs? Oh gosh, we the Giants just really need uh, some some receiver help for Daniel Jones. I really think that um, you know what what made Eli Manning into into two time winning Super Bowl quarterback Eli Manning was uh, in you know the first time around he had um, he had Plexico Burris, and the second time around he had Victor Cruz. And uh, and he had uh, let's not forget Hakeem Nix and Mario Manningham too, but. Um, uh, and uh, but that was pretty much and Amani Tumor, of course, the first time around too. I can't forget Amani, but um, but Daniel Jones has no real weapons around him, at least uh, at least as of right now. Uh, the tight end that they have is kind of not a tight end; he's a wide receiver. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get from Saquon because he's coming back off that injury. And um, you know, my hope is that the Giants don't waste his prime. I, I am I'm one of the few people left uh, with property on Daniel Jones Island. Okay. I still think he can. I still think he can be a good NFL quarterback, um, but you can't. He he's not the kind of quarterback who can lead a team by himself. He needs a good supporting cast around him. And you know, my whole mo on the Giants was they didn't build in the post Eli era. They didn't build around Daniel Jones. They built around Saquon Barkley. So what are you going to do to put around Barkley? Well, Jones is the perfect guy, right? So I, I'm always, you know, offensive line help, wide receiver help. I think that's what they need primarily. And if you can strengthen the defense, please go ahead and strengthen the defense because it's the Giants and defense and they're basically synonymous with one another. But I would I would really like to see them get some good weapons around uh, around Daniel Jones. And uh, what is your, uh, your grade so far in the job that Joe Judge is doing? I don't think it's fair to judge him right now. Uh, Pardon the pun. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah, yeah, too, too, yeah, way too soon for that. Way too early. Way too early. I, I, I mean, um, I respect his uh, willingness to change the culture. I think he's much more of a head coach than um, either Pat Shermer or Bob McAdoo were prior to him. Uh, I do think. Uh, I do fear that his tough guy act might wear very thin on players rather quickly. Um, not to say that he needs to be a softy, but uh, he kind of strikes me as a young Tom Coughlin, which can be good and also not good in, 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 in the same way. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to come down. It, it always comes down to who your leadership are as players. Uh, and it starts at the top with Saquon and Jones and, you know, do they buy in and do they get the players around them to buy in? And uh, if they do, you know, 
success that division can be had as we all know from last year. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, all you got to do is finish with a winning record, right? So, or at 500, just 500. I'll take 8 and 8. Uh, but there's a lot to be uh, there, there's a lot to be worked out and the draft is just one part of the equation. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most frustrating fans of being an NFC East team fan last year was like, okay, you're, you're at one point just, okay, all right, the season's over. I can, you know, get rid of the stress now, but then something would happen. No, it's oh, not. And they're pulling you back in. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the Giants were leading the division with what, like four weeks to go? Yeah. Like, I think with two weeks ago, there was like, they could have gotten like the sixth pick in the draft or won the division. Yeah. Like anywhere within, or I think gotten as high as the third pick in the draft. Um. They could have finished anywhere between those two extremes. I mean, I don't know. This, this and, is paid back You guys for, ended up taking us out on the last week, so. Yes. So you're welcome for that. But um, but this is the uh, this is the payback that we all get for the for the NFC East of the 80s and 90s. You know, I feel like we're we're getting our comeuppance now. So <laughs> there we're you just going to have to ride this one out, see where it takes us. Yeah, no, no doubt. So. Um, we recently uh, had a fabulous March Madness. Uh, give me your uh, take on uh, how this year's tournament went after getting a tournament back after having so desperately missed it a year ago. You know, um, I was, my th- take on it was, and knowing, you know, from working at UCF and and knowing all the 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 difficulties that, have gone on this season with just putting on events at all, that it's a miracle the tournament happened at all. Uh, it's, it, it's to, for them to pull that off logistically. Um, and I know people like to rag on the NCAA and the NCAA deserves ragging, but they were able to get the tournament off. And I thought they did a very nice job of it. I thought that, um, I, I, I think that we're tr- trying to, we're actually seeing in this situation sort of where, what the status is of every sport with respect to college. Like in football, the powers are the powers, right? I mean, as much as we hate it, and I don't blame us for hating it, I mean, they are what they are. Um, the other thing is, though, with, with college basketball is is it requires you to get on a run. And we saw teams get on a run. Uh, Baylor in particular, uh, they played as good a defense as I have seen um, any team play since at any point in the NCAA tournament, that that game, the game against Gonzaga and, you know, and I always root for the underdog. I'm, I'm a sucker for the, for the Cinderella story. I, um, you know, I wanted Butler to win a few years ago. I didn't get my wish. I I wanted, uh, you know, I really thought that Gonzaga had the horses, but, um, and, and, but I feel like, uh, I feel like two things happened in that championship game. Number one, Barrett came out with their hair on fire on defense, and they were just the more physical team defensively. I, I thought the game was the game was decided in the first five minutes um, because you could just tell, oh, Baylor's not letting up tonight. Like this is like they they are here to to cause havoc and cause havoc they did. And I thought that the other thing was emotionally for Gonzaga that overtime game they played against UCLA with the with the incredible shot at the end. Um, I don't. This is going to sound kind of trite, but I feel like that was their they in their subconscious that was their national title win, hmm. and uh, because it was such a wild game, it was it was with this crescendo of an ending, and it's hard to come back from an emotional high like that forty eight hours later and refocus for what is actually a tougher game, and. Uh, uh, they're as great as their offense was. A great defense will always be a great offense because you can't shoot your way out of a vice grip. And uh, you know, and, and congrats to Baylor. I mean, they they uh, they took it to Gonzaga right from the start, and they won the six games they needed to win. So, yeah. and you know, is the other great aspect of the tournament, which you know, I always take the first two days of the tournament off from work every year and, <laughs> and go full scale, you know, noon to midnight. And I love seeing the upsets, and and we get we we got our fair share of upsets every year, and then we get that Cinderella run like an Oral Roberts, which which was which was fantastic and fun to watch. Um, 
and then, and of course, I'm not telling you anything that, uh, that you don't know already, but the fact that you see what the NCAA does with basketball and everybody's got a seat at the table and, you know, Oral Roberts could win a national championship. It's not likely, but the opportunity is there. Right. Unlike the college football playoff, which <laughs> is all. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I have always, you know, the, Eric Lopez yells at me all the time about this. He says I'm nuts, but you know, I kind of like, I'm not going to be satisfied with FBS until they have a 16 team playoff with all 10 conference champions in it. Yeah. No, I'm with and you on that. Until, until then it is merely a, uh, it's not, it's not a true playoff. It just isn't. And it won't be. Even if we get an 18 playoff with a guaranteed spot for the group of five champion, what happens if you have two group of five champions who finish undefeated? Which one are you going to pick? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, it, it's it's disappointing. Now, I'm thankful for the progress that we made because it wasn't all that long ago that everyone was like, never in our lifetime will we ever see a college football playoff. And lo and behold, we have a college football playoff. <laughs> but... You know, and Eric also tells me, you know, hey, baby steps here. It took generations for this change to happen. And I'm like, well, it happened. Yeah. So if you can get to four, you can get to eight. And if you can get to eight, you can get to 12. If you get to 12, you can get to 16. But, um, yeah, it it just major college football will always be marred by that uh, until they do it. Will they ever do it in our lifetime? I don't know. Probably not. I think we'll probably see eight. That's about it. Yeah. Well, like I said, that would be great progress if we could at least at least get uh, that far. Right. Now we're of course on now in the throes of a major league baseball season, which we'll get a full marathon season this year and not a, a sixty-game sprint. And uh, you know, there's not really much you can tell at this point because to me, you you can't win the championship in April. You can conceivably lose it in April if you get in too big a hole, but. You don't win. Like my Yankees are doing right now. <laughs> well, and and you're playing my Braves this week, so uh, you see, we seem to be on both op- opposites of the spectrum on this show today. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we're not doing very well either right now. But uh, but again, still to me, it's still early. But what are your thoughts about uh, uh, this season now that we're going back into a a more normal circumstance? I- I'm relieved that we're having a full 162 this year. Um, I still have my concerns about what's the schedule going to look like if, God forbid, there's an outbreak on a few teams like that takes takes a team out for like a week or two, right? Um, I, I, I really think we're in a very transitionary period here with baseball because, uh, and the part that I'm really interested in um, is the uh, is uh, the the aftermath of baseball uh, coming to its professional baseball agreement with the minor league teams. And having, what was it, somewhere, somewhere around 50 teams wiped out, basically, by uh, by the new agreement, the streamlining of the minor league system, a lot of teams moving, leagues, classifications, affiliations, you name it. Uh, and for me, my it, this is the first year of that. And how is baseball as an industry going to uh, adjust to this new to, to this new normal uh, where there are a lot fewer jobs to be had uh, for players and managers and broadcasters and PR guys and team managers and whatnot. Um, and, and how does that affect college baseball in particular? I think that's going to be really, I think we're going to see a lot of guys who maybe, you know, just a couple years ago would have get, would have gotten drafted now stay in school. Stay, stay, play, keep playing college baseball for a little bit longer. Um, Eric and Brian and I talked to Greg Lovelady uh, before this baseball season for our annual preview interview, and and I asked him about it, and he said, you know, it's going to take, a, and he he said in his opinion, he, it's going to take a good five years for the total impact of that to uh, to to trickle down through college until we actually can see as fans and and the coaches can see how how much more or less talent they are going to have i think the combination of that and the transfer portal is really going to um make uh college i think it has the potential to actually strengthen college baseball overall um but i also think that we might see a little bit more stratification within the teams you know your again your power conferences are going to come out on top because if you're a, a prospect who's at like you know, if you're a player who's at Monmouth and you 
you know, have a really and you have a couple of really good seasons, you know, you could you could run your transfer up to Vanderbilt, play in the SEC for a little bit, or play in the Big Ten. Um, you know, they'll definitely have you. So uh, I don't know. It's, I, I think Love Lady's right. I think it's going to take some time to really sort this out and and see how that trickle how how then that then trickles back up into the majors in terms of the talent pool that they have that those teams have to pick up from a shorter draft also right so um we're in a, a brave new world in baseball now and i and it kind of happened without anyone really noticing it too well but here we are yeah what do you think about that uh the, the where they're going to try that uh experiment with moving the pitching mound back a foot uh, in one of the well, smaller I, leagues. Wh- where is that? Wh- which level are they doing that? Because I know that they're trying that. It's an independent they're trying a couple league. different things. Okay, it's an independent yeah, league. It's an independent Because I know that there's a, in all of the levels of the minors, there's like a different, they're trying out something different in each one. Like I think in in like high A ball or something, they're doing the robo umps and I'm like, great, let's make that happen. <laughs> um, moving the mound back... I mean, they're trying to get more. They're, obviously, they're trying to produce more offense, but I, I mean, I think that right now there's a and reduced strikeout rates is and, and, re, and reduced strikeout. Well, I think that I, I think that the increased strikeout rate isn't so much because of the pitchers, it's because of the hitters. The whole yeah, launch yeah, right. angle revolution, I think, is um, has really has really made baseball a sort of go for broke prospect if you're a, if you're a hitter, uh, and so it's almost like we're seeing a reverse bell curve of you know pitching on this side and hitting on this side and we have really great pitching at one end and really great hitting on the other and then the curve is very steep in the middle where the two meet uh whereas used to i think it used to be flatter Mm -hmm. uh in terms of the overall quality of what we're seeing at the major league level Uh, i'm very much in favor of the pitch clock although they always find a way to mess it up like it only it only happens if uh uh, if there's nobody on base, I think that's a bunch of junk. I, I think that the the biggest rule change, the biggest rule change that they that baseball could make because I, I know and now we're talking about speeding up the game again, which everyone does. But um, I, 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 the umpires have got to keep the batters in the box. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's not the pitchers. The pitchers want to work quick. It's the batters who take time. And remember, a couple of years they said that was an, uh, that was an emphasis. Yeah. And after a month, the hitters were raising hell. Uh, about you know this is this is terrible. We can't do this. We're gonna, you know, um, and then all the, and then the umpires went back to you know went back to letting hitters take their time. The, the umpires have to be and and baseball has to back the umpires and say no. We're emphasizing this. You stay in the box, or we're gonna call strikes on you. Bottom mm-hmm. line, and uh, and if you don't like it, too freaking bad. Deal with it. Stay in the box and let's go. Um. Yeah, that would be before 1990, even, and guys don't step out of the box. <laughs> yeah, they don't step out of the box. Not because, not because they, it just wasn't what they did. Yeah, you know, it was it. it batters stayed in the box just to keep their kind. Now it's like you can you can step out, you can kind of you can readjust your batting gloves, kind of figure things out. And meanwhile, the pitcher's standing there, ready to go. Right. So, um. I think back to it was when Mark Burley threw his perfect game for the Chicago White Sox. I think that game lasted under two hours. Yes, it did. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't that Mark Burley was trying to work slowly to throw off the batter. The batters were trying to slow him down. And they couldn't. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that would be that would be the one rule that I would like to see is um, emphasizing keeping the batters in the box. You step out of the box, strike. And if you don't like it, you're out. I'll call you out right here. <laughs> Yeah. If you don't I, like it, if you don't like it, too bad. Adjust, adjust to it. You're a professional. You're supposed yeah. to adjust to it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I have to. I'm 100 agreement on that because I've I've stated that argument many times before. It's just like, yeah, this isn't real. This isn't really hard to figure out if you're. Like, yeah, you're not really figuring out a math problem. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's it's not that it's difficult. The, you're you're not you're not you know trying to figure out like a logical proof here. Like, it's just <laughs> stay in the box and hit the ball, man. <laughs> All right. So uh, this past uh, football season, you debuted as the stadium announcer for UCF football, and you've done uh, announcing for other sports, uh, mm-hmm. live venues, and all that. 
What was the experience like for you in this first year? And, uh, you know, and, and how bittersweet was it because of the lack of fans, if you will? Well, it was, first of all, it was a total blast. Um, what a thrill. And I can't wait for Labor Day weekend. I can't wait to get back in there again. I actually just did PA for um, the uh, uh, men's soccer championship at UCF this past uh, or last weekend. Um, and it doesn't matter what sport it is. I just love being there. I love, I love doing it. Um, I'm, you know, I, PA is something that I've always, you know, thought about doing like ever since I was a kid, you know, like I, I, I loved, uh, back in the days when we watched the NBA finals on NBC and you'd see the starting lineups, right. And Ray Clay, the old PA guy for the Chicago Bulls when Jordan was there, I think everyone remembers that. And, um, and I wanted to do either that or play by play or both, whatever I could get my hands on. And, uh, to do PA for UCF football, which I've loved for so long, at my alma mater, um, is uh, is just it's such a huge honor, a huge huge honor. I, I'm I'm still like I, I I literally can't believe they asked me to do that. I, I it's uh, and and the season, even though it was short, you know, I think we only had, we only had four home games. It was a blast. I think the first game against Tulsa, it was we were we were all still trying to figure out like what football during a pandemic is going to look like. I think a lot of the fans were were kind of like, okay, is this you know is this is this how it's going to be? It's different, you know. We're a little uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable. I think everyone was, but you know we kind of figured out the kinks after that first game, and you know by the Cincinnati game, you know. We had only about uh, what twelve thousand fans in in the stadium for that game, but at the end of that game, it was loud, man. It, it was really loud. It, it was uh, you know now it wasn't forty it wasn't you know forty five thousand people loud, but it was it was a pretty loud twelve thousand people that we had in that building for uh, toward the end of that game. And um, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I've like you said, I've done PA for a number of sports uh, at UCF for a number of years. I've done volleyball for a long time i've done softball i've done women's basketball for a while now um i had done some men's basketball before but now i'm doing men's basketball full-time now as well um it's uh it's it it really is uh, a a really fun experience to do because there's you're running the show along with the marketing department and audio and everything all at the same time inside the booth and so there's always something going on um, and you got, I have my, I have a spotter in my ear. Usually you would have them right next to you physically, but we could only have so many people in the booth. But, um, but in this case I had them, you know, elsewhere speaking to me via, uh, via a live audio link and, uh, and helping me out. So that was huge. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, it, I, I was glad we, in a way I was like, okay, I'm glad that, you know, I was I was joking with uh, Steve Robertson, uh, who was working at marketing at UCF during football season. Then he took a job at Georgia Tech. Unfortunately, he left us, but I know he's doing great things at Georgia Tech. And I told Steve, I was like, well, the good thing is if I mess up, there's only 12,000 people here to hear it. So, um, so which means I better not mess up this fall because, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed that we'll have a full stadium this fall. And I hope we do. Um, but uh, it, it was a, a, a truly mind-blowing experience and i can't wait to get back there i cannot wait for football season yeah it's wait. april and i'm like oh god i can't wait i mean you know when you mentioned more some, months man and you mentioned something interesting too because i always thought you know the nba was well ahead of the curve with public address you know being part of the presentation Mm-hmm. Of, of the events, you know, it, uh, you know, maybe 20 years or so ago in football, it was pretty much a standard, you know, down in distance. Yeah, um, it was, it was, it was the late Bob Shepard at giant stadium, right? Yeah. <laughs> All carried by Morris, you know, that kind of a thing. And I, I, football has taken its cues from, now there's still some places that are like that, especially if you go up North to, you know, a lot of the big 10 schools, you know, there's still a lot of places that are, that are, you know, very, you know, I like to say the, the bow tie and plaid jacket. In states types, right? like that, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, Michigan, right? It, those guys. But it, but at UCF, we have the ability to be a lot more, um, f- to, to freelance a little bit more with ha- with our style of doing a game. And, and the, the future of college football, which is, you know, what UCF is marketing itself as, and, and rightfully so. I've always believed UCF has been the future of college football since I was a student in the early 2000s. And, 
um, you know, it, we have the liberty to, you know, have a little bit more fun with it, which I think is it is great. I mean, and and you know, we can get the place going. You know, I think there's no. Uh, when the bounce house, I'm not telling anyone anything they don't know. When the bounce house is really rocking, there's no place like it in college football. And, you know, to be a part of that is, you know, it's a tremendous responsibility. And, you know, I take that very seriously. But it's also, uh, it, it's, it's, like, it's like Christmas, you know. It's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get this opportunity. <laughs> you know, it's, and, um, oh God, I, I just... Every time I think about it, I'm like, I can't wait for September 2nd, 3rd, or 4th to get here. <laughs> well, I know. I know you did a fantastic job. And, in, in, you know, take, you. Me, take me into the preparation, you know. What, what is similar to, like, preparing for a radio or TV broadcast? And what's different about the preparation for doing PA? Well, the preparation for doing uh, a television broadcast, which I've also been doing for UCF, um, is, you know, when you're, do- when you're preparing for TV – or radio, you know, you got to have your your three bullet points that you know for each player that you want to talk about um, to sort of fill the time, right? Because you're going to be talking pretty much the whole time. You got to have something ready to go because the present the game as it is presented on television is different than as it is presented to a crowd in live action, right? Uh, in terms of preparation to do PA, I got to know UCF's roster cold. Okay, and I'm going to try my best to know the opponent's roster cold as well, because I got to be I I, that almost has to be like at a reaction pace. Right. Because the less I have to think about, okay, which player is that the more bandwidth I have in my brain to do things like, you know, figure out how long that play was. You know, and, and I'm not talking about like a two or three yard run. That's the easy part. I'm talking about like a 35 yard run downfield, and you're kind of counting. It's harder than it th- than you think, um, and because uh, you know it, it's it's amazing. Like all you got to do, all right, if you could ever possibly do it, I would love to see. You know, try and do it yourself on you know taking a TV game, but take the take the score bug away and take the announcers away. And that's what you have to work with, right? Because it's because it, it, it's tough. And and you know, starting out, it was you know there were there were a couple times when I you know when I was like uh, thirty four yard gain, you know, okay, we'll call it thirty four. But you know, now I'm hoping that as we transition out of the pandemic, there's a couple more eyeballs that are out there. Football is the one where you really need like more eyeballs on the field than just than just you know, one person, right? I mean, you do need a spotter and somebody else to kind of help, to kind of help you out with that. Um, because there's so much going on in football. Um, you have the offensive players, you have the defensive players. The, the hard part is figuring out, you know, the tackler, because you don't always see the number right away because you're busy trying to think, trying to figure out who the, who's the offensive player who got the ball and then figuring out the yardage from there, right? Uh, and then the other thing I think that was really um, a challenge, and I and I, I'm glad I actually got it pretty quick was timing, because when you when you're running an offense as fast as UCF is, you got to get in and out, and you got to shut up before the team is ready to is ready to take the next snap. You do not want to be talking over when the quarterback Dylan Dylan Gabriel or whoever else is you know making a call at the line. Um, you know, like they say, quiet, please, offensive work. So, uh, and that means, and, that, and especially in my case, right? I got to be, I got to get in and I got to get out. So, understanding the timing between plays when UCF is moving the ball, when they go up tempo, um, that, I, I was proud of like how, how, you know, we were able to get that down pat and stay out of the way. That, you know, as long as the folks for UCF, you know, in the marketing department, and the administration for UCF and especially the coaches are happy and they're not saying, will you please tell that guy, the <laughs> PA guy to shut up before we snap the ball. I'm happy. And by the way, they're all too happy to let me talk during when the other team has the ball. <laughs> they're, they're, they're perfectly fine with that. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, I can, it, it's, I, I want to make sure that I get in, get all the information in that a fan needs to know exactly what's going on at that moment. And then be quiet and let our offense do their work. 
Yeah, it is great that you point out too the uh, having spotters and things like that. I've done some high school football play by play, and you have no spotters, so you know yeah. it's a. And he was he's taken down by a host of tacklers. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can't say that because like no. there's forty five thousand people who are going to be like, didn't you see Tatum <laughs> yeah. Bethune there? What are you blind? You know, I, <laughs> so I better get that one right, especially if it's if it's UCF on defense. I better give credit to the right guy. Yeah. And the other reason why, obviously, and and the reason why I take pride in doing that, not just for UCF, but for the opponent, is because, you know, the the opponent's parents, they're, they're uh, in the stadium, too. You know, and they want to hear that it's, it's, it's going to anger them if I get their kid's name wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, and I, don't, want the, I don't want them to be like that because, you know, one thing that we do pride ourselves on at UCF in every sport is being the kind of place where opposing fans come and when they leave, they say, wow, we had an amazing time at this place. We had no idea how cool it was. We can't wait to get back here again because we had a great time. Even though we lost, man, they treated us great and they treated our team with class and respect. And uh, and I take great pride in that. Excellent. Um you know, not long ago, uh, you and I were on a panel on the Bubba Rose Show out of North Carolina. We were talking mm-hmm. about all the changes that took place in the offseason with the athletic director chair and the head coaching vacancy. And I'm one of these guys who likes to definitely revisit things after time has gone by and not going off the, quote, hot take or the initial gut reaction. Because initially, I was kind of like, ah, Gus Malzahn, I don't know. And now that I've, you know, seen how things are progressing and, you know, you, you've, you have the benefit of hindsight, it's, it's really great to see the energy that has taken place since the regime change, if you will. Not that it was bad before, but to see that, to me, it's continuing and it looks like we're going to be able to take that next step. There was a little bit of, I, I was, I was surprised when the players were speaking to the media, and I listened to several of the press conferences that took place during spring ball, um, I think the most telling thing that I heard was that, it, was that a, a number of the defensive players said, and the offensive players too said, you know, there's n- we're all playing together as a unit now. It's no longer an offense versus defense situation in the locker room on the field. I think that... Prior to Coach Malzahn, I think that, you know, uh, that Coach Heupel, who, you know, I mean, let's face it, he deserves some credit for winning a lot of games here at UCF. And, but there were a lot of growing pains along the way. I think we can all, you know, appreciate that. You know, he had never been a head coach before, Josh Heupel. And, um, and so he was learning on the job at a place that had a very steep learning curve. I mean, let's, you know, it, 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 let's, let's face it. You know, this is, this is not Middle Tennessee State. Okay, this is UCF. This is a real program. Okay, Um, the kind of mistakes you can get away with at, you know, MTSU or FIU, you can't get away with here. So uh, and and in turn, I think he spent way too much time on the offense, not enough time on the defense. um, And it ended up kind of being a little bit of a house divided thing going on a little little bit. I'm not saying that it was like a toxic environment. I don't think the, the players didn't didn't go that far but the the impression that i got was like it really wasn't we weren't getting on you know we weren't getting on and gus malzahn the thing that i really liked about him the more i you know read up on a lot of the reaction coming out of alabama uh, you know and the auburn folks who were talking about when he left and the more i talked to some folks that i know who have been in circles around him is you know, he is the coach's coach uh, in the respect that, and I think that the part of him that gets overlooked, uh, and I hope I get the chance to talk to him at some point, you know, one to one, maybe for the podcast, who knows, I don't know. But um, I would love to ask him about his, how his, what, decade plus as a high school coach informs his general philosophy now as a now veteran college coach because I think you know there's a a lot of guys who come through college they they're in the college bubble right and in college you can 
pick and choose which players you want to fill which slots. High school coaches have a lot different tasks. You have to create your team around the personnel that you have. You can't go get a kid in the transfer portal in high school, at least not in the high schools that I went to. <laughs> but um, but the uh, but in that respect, you know, when you come into a new job, you have you have the personnel you have. So now you have to design your system around those guys, offense and defense. Um, I think he's taken a particular interest in being a coach of coaches as well. Uh, I love the fact that his staff is a good mix of young guys and veteran guys. Um, And I think the young guys, he's really trying to prime to become, you know, coordinators and eventual head coaches elsewhere. And I think that that is good for UCF. That spreads black and gold a little bit further throughout the college football nation. Right. Um, But to have But the other thing that he knows very well, and and I think this is the other thing that he took with him from high school, is you have a system, you have to trust the system, you need to learn to adapt the system based on the opponent that you're playing and the personnel that you have and whatever. But in that respect, you can allow your players to play within that system and allow them to be a little bit more free. I think that's the other thing. There were there was not a lot of it, it, it was a little bit too loose under Hypo in some respects and not enough in some others. Um, and it's nice to have that sort of a, a much more condensed form of leadership at the helm. Uh, and the other thing, I, the last thing I wanted to mention about Coach Malzahn too is I think we're seeing in his move to UCF. And what we will see over the next several years, however long he decides to stay here, is uh, we're seeing the SEC kind of be and and the certainly the big guys. I kind of and I put the upper levels of the ACC, the Big Ten, in the same respect. Is that big, big, big programs? The the eight hundred pound gorillas in the room, the Alabamas, the Auburns, the LSU's, the Floridas. They're getting too big to fail, and some of these programs need to start failing. In order to in order to rebuild, um, I think the situation at Auburn was you know Gus just wants to coach, but when you're dealing with all these boosters at Auburn who all want to throw their weight around and have a lot of money with which to throw said weight around, uh, who who end up paying your salary right, and they have an influence on you, and you have to keep them happy, and you have to. You know, and you have to, you know, get this kid some playing time because his, you know, his uncle's a big donor and all this kind of stuff. And you can't, and they didn't leave him alone to just coach here at UCF. And this goes for uh, not just football, but all sports. You have the freedom to just coach. And that's why coaches like it here. You know, they, they can just do, they, they can perform their craft. And, um, and I think that's I, I, I think that sets up UCF to be exactly the place that we've been saying it would be for 20, 25 years now, which is a place where coaches can coach. You can you can you know win a lot of games here. You can recruit the heck out of everywhere, and you have all the resources that you that you have, and none and none of the additional, for lack of a better term, BS. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I, I really do think it, it started. It, I was a little apprehensive at first, but now the more I the more I see how this thing is going, I know it's still early, but I'm liking where this is going. I'm really yeah. liking it. Yeah, and it's not like Auburn doesn't have a history of jettisoning good coaches because the boosters yeah. <laughs> you know, don't get what they want. So yeah, they never do that, do they? <laughs> no, ne- never happens. Never happens. <laughs> well, you know, you you bring up another interesting thing too, and and you know, and I take a uh, pride in this as well because. You know, when you look to see where UCF has come, and, and I remember when the football program started when I was a kid, and to see where it has come from there to what it is now and where it can still go mm-hmm. is still, to me, still kind of gives me chills. It's a fairy tale. You know, I, I want so badly to, one of these days, I'm going to have enough time to write a book about this, like, you know, uh, an oral history of the UCF football program, because. You know, this is the thing about UCF that gets lost in the national conversation. There are two, you can pretty much divide college football's programs into two camps. 
One camp is all the schools that have been playing football for a hundred years, right? Leather helmets and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> right? Even a bunch of programs who you think haven't been playing that long, they've been playing that long. Like, you know, like most of the schools in the Mac have been playing since like the 1900s, yes. basically, right? Then you have the schools who just discovered football, okay? Uh, when they dropped the scholarship limit down from, remember it used to be 105, then it was 95, and then they dropped it to 85 in the mid-90s. That opened. That meant that there was a lot of talent that had to go somewhere else in order to get that scholarship. And so what happened during those periods of time? Whenever they dropped the scholarship limits, you started seeing more programs pop up and then pop up into division, what was then division 1A, now it's FBS, right? So USF is a good example of this, all right? When did they start football? 1997, as a division then 1AA independent team, moved up to 1A a couple years later. Uh, FAU and FIU are good examples of this. Um, There are a number of other schools who are kind of like these microwave programs who came about because there uh, there was a supply of football players who were good enough to play, but not enough scholarships for them. So where can they go? Somewhere else where they can get a scholarship, okay? Um, now, UCF is in, this different, is in this different position. They didn't start football, you know, 30 years ago. They started it in 1979, and they started it at the bottom, Division Three, in 1979, okay? And moved up from there to Division Two, to FCS, to FBS, Okay, no other school in all of FBS has done that. No other school has gone from Division Three, you know, the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl, right? <laughs> yep. To the top level of college football. No other school has ever done that. The only school that's come close to doing that is actually the team we're going to be opening the season against, Boise State which used to be a community college. But when they moved football up, they, I think they started actually, when they, when they moved into the NCAA, they, I believe they started, you'll have to fact check me on this, I believe they did start as a Division II program. Um, I'll double check you, I'll double check you on that. But uh, this was a, it's a, it's really a miraculous story about how this, this club basically turned into a major college football program. Yeah. Uh, It's, uh, it's unbelievable. You know, we just, we just lost Gene McDowell in January, the father of UCF football as, as UCF himself called it. Um, and you know, when he took over, the program was all, was almost, was in a ton of debt and, uh, was on the verge of being canceled in mid eighties. He took a salary of one dollar his first time, and by the end of his tenure, and we know all know how it, how it ended. It did not end well. It did not end well. Um, but by the end of it, he was he had moved the UCF up to Division One A, and um, there are a lot of stories similar to that. You know, players and coaches and administrators and and people around the program who made this happen. Um, and it's uh, to me, yeah, it's a it's a it's a sports fairy tale what UCF has done. Yeah, it has been incredible, that is for sure. Well, Jeff, this has been a terrific conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some shameless plugs for what you got going on. So the floor is yours for that. All right, Jeff. Well, of course, you can follow me individually at Jeff underscore Sharon. Uh, You can follow also uh, all of us at Black and Gold Banneret. We are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Uh, We are on Twitter at uh, at UCF underscore Banneret. That's B-A-N-N-E-R-E-T. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Android devices, uh, wherever you get it. Uh, It's myself and Eric Lopez and formerly Brian Murphy, who just left our, our, uh, our, our garage for um mlb for mlb mlb.com yeah there it is 
Um, I, he didn't give me this. I've had this shirt for a long time, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know we love Brian. We miss him. We're gonna, uh, but he'll be coming back every now and then. But you know myself and Eric and Jeremy Brenner and um, and Danny Medina and uh, and Drew Glukov and uh, and all of us. We're gonna be. We're still gonna be giving you all the and, and Bryce and Turner. We're all gonna be giving you the UCF content that that you guys that all the fans keep telling us we like. So you know we made it through the pandemic with a bunch of good stuff and. Um, and we're going to be hitting the ground running real quick here um, to, you know, as uh, as, you know, this season winds down, uh, we've been trying to keep pace as best we can with all of the sports going on in the spring. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. Um, so you can follow us again, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold Outstanding. Jeff Sharon, thanks again for being on. Certainly enjoyed the visit. All right, Jeff, it's always good to talk to you. Have a good one. I'll see you again soon. And we're right back to close things out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Schlemiel, Schlemizel, Heisenberg Incorporated. We're going to do it. Give us any chance, we'll take it. Read us any rule, we'll break it. We're going to make our dreams come true. Do it our way. Nothing's going to turn us back now. Straight ahead and on the track now. A theme from Laverne and Shirley, which ran for eight seasons on ABC from 1976 to 1983. Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff from Happy Days, following the lives of Laverne DeFazio, played by the late great Penny Marshall, and Shirley Feeney, played by Cindy Williams, two friends and roommates who work as bottle cappers in the fictitious Schatz Brewery in late 1950s Milwaukee. And, of course, from the sixth season onward, the uh, series setting changed to Burbank, California. Uh, the uh, neighbors and quite wacky duo of Michael McKean and David Lander were uh, Lenny Kosnowski and Andrew Squiggy Squigman. Lenny and Squiggy, whose interests are always very comedic. Eddie Mecca as Carmine Ragusa, Phil Foster as Laverne's father, Frank DeFazio, and Betty Garrett as the landlady Edna Babish, who would also become uh, Frank's wife later on. And this program featured a lot of physical comedy. Uh, Laverne and Shirley uh, became the most watched American television program by its third season. Now, if Happy Days created Jump the Shark with Fonzie jumping the shark, Laverne and Shirley had theirs when they changed the setting of the series from Milwaukee to California. And the beginning of the end in March 1982, Cindy Williams became pregnant with her first child. In August, two episodes into production of the eighth season, Williams left the show and filed a $20 million lawsuit against Paramount after they demanded that Williams work on her scheduled due date. The case was settled out of court and uh, Williams was released from her contract. The series' final season continued with two episodes with Williams still playing Shirley. Then it was just... Penny Marshall is Laverne, who now works for an aerospace company. The ratings had dipped, obviously, but were strong enough to be considered for a ninth season. Marshall had agreed that the show would continue if they would move production to New York. But faced the high cost of that endeavor, ABC opted not to renew the series. And May 1983 was the last we saw of Laverne and Shirley. Again, one of the uh, great uh, 
uh, all-time classic comedies of the uh, 70s and early 80s, and uh, a theme song that certainly uh, will play over in your mind now that you've heard it. You're going to hear it a little bit more. (laughs) All right, thanks again for Jeff Sharon being here on the program, and as always, we thank you for listening. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.